So this is Ronnie, and Ronnie has been a friend of mine and Larry's for decades. And I have no idea what he's going to speak on, but he's got 20 minutes to do it. And so you want to make sure if you have any questions, write those down or keep them in the forefront of your mind because he can answer them. I know it. So um, I entitled it, I gave a title to this, um, Experiencing God. So I'm going to start with prayer. So Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, I and everyone listening invite you to speak to our hearts in a way that will help us experience you in a new and special way and in a way that is beyond what anyone listening now live or later in a recording might expect. And I thank you that you can reach and use the words that come out of my mouth and communicate anything you want to the people that are listening. Amen. All right. So many of you have, some of you have known me for a while, some not quite as long. Um, the happy-go-lucky guy that I am now is not who I always was, especially around here. Um, so there was times when, there were times when I went through some pretty dark times, and that's partly what I'm going to talk about. Remember, with the idea of experiencing God is a big component of that and why that happened. So one of the first things just to point out is I don't think anyone can do any of this alone. And I want to thank Larry McKnight and another guy that many of you don't know named Michael Enos, who spent at least six months with me on the phone in the mornings because I was experiencing a deep, dark depression where I truly felt suicidal at times. And the mornings were the worst time for me. I don't know why. It just was the worst time. So all they did which is a huge deal, but what they did is they would spend time with me on the phone, just in the morning, just spend time. Sometimes it was talking about weird thoughts or horrible thoughts. Other times it was just, I don't know, just stuff. But they did that, and with that I am eternally grateful, or for that. So... That was very helpful to me, and I encourage anyone that's dealing with depression in any way, shape, or form to try, and I know it's hard because I've experienced it, but try to reach out for help. Because when you're depressed, you don't want to tell people you need help because that makes you feel worse, which I know sounds weird, but that's how I experienced it. So for those of you listening or watching in the future, or now, <laughs> Please do that. Try to find somebody. There's going to be someone that cares enough for you that they'll spend some time with you. All right, so let's talk about what depression is. I didn't like depression. My stepmother was very depressed all the time, so I hated depression. It just ruined our family life. And so I never experienced it before, and I kept wondering, why can't she just get out of that idea? It's just, she doesn't need to be depressed. So that was my perspective until it hit me. <laughs> and once it hit me, it was really tough. And um, what I am now looking at in the past was having what I call a sick heart. I'm going to use what I think are biblical expressions of what depression was about. 
having a sick heart or a fragile heart, feeble heart, weak of heart is how it's described many times in Scripture. You'll notice there's a lot of heart involved in these things. So heart is a big part of it, which you'll see in a moment. I said, I was not experiencing life as Scripture says I should or I should be able to. I was not wanting to fake it. And I think that's one of the problems with people, at least I know for me, I don't like the idea of hypocrisy. So faking being okay was hard. I didn't like doing it. And so that when, believe it or not, when someone would just ask me, how are you doing? I struggled with an answer. I couldn't just say I'm fine because I wasn't. But I didn't want to say what was really going on because that might take 10 minutes. And so it's like, eh, I don't want to even be around anyone. So that's honestly part of the problem of depression that keeps you from being around anyone is you just don't want to be honest because it feels like being honest is just going to be hard on everybody else. So anyways, I was feeling suck and hopeless, and I knew there was no other way for me besides what I had reached out for God with, but I wasn't getting any life from God. My relationship, or lack thereof, with God was such that nothing seemed to be happening in the way that I was hoping for or expecting. And a symptom that I had experienced is it felt like God had skipped over me, was fine loving other people, but there was something wrong with me, or was taking a break and I wasn't able to be involved with that. Um, another symptom, and this isn't to pick on church, but it happened in church. Another symptom I experienced was the songs we would sing. You're smiling. The songs would describe unreachable relationship with God. Unreachable experience with God. That's how I looked at it. And it was hard for me to sing them because of not wanting to be a hypocrite. And so I wouldn't. But then I would be upset at myself for not singing it, thinking, well, if I sang it, then maybe something might happen. And it was just a, a cycle of spiral, downward spiral. It just wasn't, wasn't good. I wanted more of God, and I think the desire to want more of God is probably inspired by God, but at the same time it was really tough because I didn't know how to do that, how to get more of God. The methods I used, the, the thoughts that I had weren't working. Okay? Okay. Hebrews 11.6 says that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. I read that. I was still depressed. Just give you time frame. And um, I didn't see any reward. I'd seek Him as best I knew how. I saw no reward. And honestly, that has totally changed now. So part of what I want to try to share is that things have changed and they can change I don't necessarily know all the ways that they're going to change for everybody, but it is possible, and that's partly what I want to talk about. All right, so it all comes down, in my mind, to union with God. And what the heck does union with God mean? I mean, you can throw it out there, unless you've heard Larry talking about that for a while, you probably don't necessarily know. So to me, 
it's the difference between God being with me and God being in me. And I see union as a form of relationship. The in me is far more of union than with me. I don't mind him being with me. That was fine. In me totally changes life. Totally changes life. So I see with me as being a form of relationship, but it's stronger than any other kind of relationship. Did I say with me? I meant in me. I forget which one I just said. In me is better than with me from my experience, and I bet you for anybody out there. In fact, I know that everybody out there has God in them, whether they believe it or not. So just realize if you are, there's a camera. If you're watching this later, you've got God in you, whether you think you do or not. Sorry, he's there. All right, John sixteen thirty three says, if I have... I have told you these things so that in me, this is Jesus speaking, this red letter stuff. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, or sometimes it says tribulations. But take heart. There's that heart thing again. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And some of you may have heard Larry say this. I actually said it before I ever heard him say it, so... It's actually part of me. So Jesus is saying, okay, take heart. I've overcome the world. And I'm thinking, well, that's good for you. I'm glad to hear that. What's that got to do with me? I had no idea of the idea, the concept that God is in me. So if God's in me, the person who has overcome the world and all the tribulations is in me. So it gives me the ability to reach into somehow, and maybe don't know how, but it gives me hope or the idea that I could figure out or learn how to overcome the world because Jesus in me did it. It's not just with me, next to me, but in me. So that's part of the union, the capability that union with God gives you, is you can look at certain scriptures that may seem good for Jesus, but what about you? And you can apply them to you without being a hypocrite, without thinking this is weird. It's really real. So that was important for me as part of learning about God in me. So I look at life. I look at all my relationships, my work, family, other people differently now because I see God in them, in all of you, and in you. So I'm going to talk briefly about the practical implications of this. Um, my active relationship with God means that I try to acknowledge God in everything I do. You know, Proverbs 3, 5. Is that what it is? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge Him. So if I can think about that throughout the day, it's pretty easy to think about, okay, God's in me. What's he doing? What's he doing in me? What's he doing in other people? Even what's he doing when I'm playing pickleball? And I play a lot of pickleball. So another thing I do 
is I check in with my heart. I'd mentioned a lot of stuff about my heart. I can remember being up here and Larry writing on a board, what are the things you're working on or God's working on in you? And the only thing I could say is I'm working on my heart. And he wrote it down. And I thought, well, yeah, that's all I'm doing. And it took me quite a while. It's helped. It's helped a lot. So I check in with my heart. So occasionally I'll ask. I even made a, made a, uh, a bumper sticker and stuck it up on my wall. I gave one to Vicky. Remember that, Vicky? Yeah. And it says, hi, heart. It's got a picture of a heart, comma. How are you doing? Question mark. So it's to remind me to ask myself, how's my heart doing? Well, the person I learned that question from is a woman named Krista Black Gifford. And she has a book called Heart Made Whole. And I did a six-week course on that where you go through some of the recorded videos that she has and then there was live conversations and things. And I was totally shocked and surprised by her by her saying stuff like, hey God, I am so happy you showed me I got pissed off at this person in traffic. Or I got ticked off, maybe that sounds better, I don't know. I got upset. She was happy that she got upset because then it brought her to the place where she could expect God to work with her in that area. And it brought her to the place where she was able to say, okay, God, why was I upset? This was what was happening, etc. Fully believing and trusting that this is an internal conversation with herself and God, because God's in her, to get an answer. And many times it would lead her to other stuff in the past or just the way she interpreted stuff and then she could see it differently. And so this is an ongoing conversation that I do to bolster the concept that seems really foreign to us when we first start thinking about it, that God's in me, but he's in my heart and he knows everything about me. And so I can ask him very easily and I can expect to get an answer, which is really pretty cool. So that's a book I encourage you. It's called Heart Made Whole. So check it out if you want to dig into your heart. Um, some of the things that I've noticed is in my Christian growth or my growth of believing in God, I will go through similar trials or challenges kind of over and over again. And at first that bothered me because like I thought we dealt with that already. I thought we already worked through that. And then someone described it to me as a, a spiral staircase where you're going around, but you're going up. So you still see the same thing, but now you're seeing it from a different perspective. You're a little bit higher maybe, and then you go up a little, and then you get to see it again, but from a slightly different perspective. So I think there's mercy in the sense that God doesn't give it all to us all at once to deal with, because sometimes it's a little too hard to deal with all at once, but we can give us one layer of it. And then we're going around and we see it again, but now we can see it from a slightly different perspective, hopefully more of his perspective, and then we can keep going. And then it's not a problem when you see it again, because now you can realize, okay, it's just something slightly different. It's the same, but it's different. That makes sense. Um, 
Recently, we had some a guest speaker here, Paul. What's Paul's last name? Paul Richards. Sorry, Paul, if you're watching this. I forgot your last name. Um, he talked about Scripture, and he says it's either true or it's not. That was something he said. And it spurred something in my heart, and I wrote it down. So I'm talking to you about it. If we're not experiencing what Scripture says, is it that it's not true? Or is it possible that we're just not experiencing it yet? And I prefer to look at it as we're not experiencing it yet. So yet is a a title of a book I was encouraging Larry to write. I see yet is an important word. It's, It's part of the process of growing in God. It's part of hope. Hope. You don't have hope for stuff you've got now. You've got hope for stuff that hasn't necessarily happened yet. And yet's part of our future. So yet, three little words, Y-E-T, is, I'm sorry, three little letters, is an important word, I think, that you can nourish and realize it's part of what God has for your future. So another question that I had was, does having a relationship with God matter for now or for later? And at first, it was, relationship with God is just helping me with heaven, with later. And I honestly now can truthfully say it helps me now. Big time. Because it allows me to see things better from God, closer to God's perspective, if not His perspective. And that relationship with God helps me now to the point where my interactions with other people are very, very different because I see God in them. And that it's totally revolutionized the way I look at evangelism, the way I look at friends, the way I look at enemies, the way I look at anybody. God's in them all. What are we going to do with that? That's important. That's, I found that to be important. So to me, it makes a big difference for now. It gives me peace. It helps me with my horizontal relationship as well as my vertical relationships. And I'm almost out of time. And I figured I'd run out of time even though I thought I didn't have enough to cover. But that's the way speaking is. And I've learned that over the years. So I am available for any of you to ask questions. I've got two more topics but we don't have time to cover them, except for maybe one, and that has to do with hearing God. That's, that was something I struggled with for years and years and years and years. And the best way I can deal with it now, and the best way I can explain it to anybody else, is I've changed. I'm a nerd. I'm a computer nerd. So I'm going to use a word called default. I changed my default. The thing you fall back on, the thing you when you restart it starts over as what's called the default. My default setting was hearing God is hard for me to do. I've changed it by simply saying, I can hear God. That's my default. It's a choice I had to make in order to open up the ability to hear God. It's just a choice. I thought it was going to be a lot harder. It wasn't. And that's pretty awesome. 
So with that, I'm open for questions. If anybody's got some, feel free to come on up. Thanks. That was a great testimony. Um, your title was Experiencing God. So um, did I hear you say that you're experiencing God through having your mind changed about some things that you thought about him? And if so, do you think he was part of that changing of the mind and you're experiencing that? Or hard to use the word heart? Can you give us just a little more connection there? Thanks for the question. Great question. Yes, definitely I think God was part, if not all, of what was involved with me changing my mind. I know I had to be involved to some degree, but if it wasn't him wooing me to do that, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Just like he gives us a measure of faith to start with, what we do with it after that is up to us, I think. Well, not totally. I mean, partly. <laughs> but God is definitely involved in the process of the change. Um, I would say to other people, I would not wish what I went through on anybody, but at the same time, I would be happy for anybody to experience the change that I've been able to experience. So, as Daddy was changing your heart, was he changing your thoughts, and how did that affect the way you feel and your behavior? Sounds like some of these questions are loaded questions. Which That's a good question, too. Definitely, he was changing both my mind and my heart. And if you start studying your heart, or what I did when I studied my heart, I learned that my heart is the innermost part of me. It includes my thoughts. It includes my emotions. It includes the deepest part. When we talk about default, meaning everything's shut down, totally done, you start it back up again, I think the first thing that starts up is your heart. I was a musician in the earlier part of my life. When I would memorize music, we had an expression, I know it by heart. Where the heck does that come from? Our heart is a big part of us, and I think it's where God abides, lives, hangs out. So to me, it was not only emotions and thoughts and what was the other thing you said? Feelings and behavior. All of it. If, <laughs> if you're like me and you do not want to be a hypocrite, okay? Some of you, <laughs> that sounds insulting maybe. <laughs> Most, many people don't want to be a hypocrite. For me, it was very, very, very important. So... For me, I had to be honest with myself and before I could be honest with other people. And so that honesty has come from my heart. And when my heart is not in conflict, I'm more free. And I believe God wants all of us to be free. Al, do you have something? Yeah. There you That's go. It. All the way from Australia. Go for it. <laughs> Mate, when you've got depression, it's really hard. You, you you want to just stay inside. You just don't want to do anything. What caused you to reach out to others? Um, I didn't want to die, and it's not a joke. I was ready to kill myself at times. Um, I realized 
there were other people that cared about me. And I don't know, honestly, I'm going to guess it's God got me. I was at a point where only he could help me through other people as well. And I was fortunate enough to have them around me. So I, I honestly don't know. There wasn't any particular one thing that happened that made me decide I had to change. I just was tired of being depressed, I guess. Does that answer your question, Al? That's good. That's good, Ralph. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Yes, clearly you didn't get poof and you were all better, but was it a long, linear, just slowly things got better, or was there a time where something really kind of broke the back and things started improving from then, or is it just a path? <laughs> but how would you describe that? Great question. This is probably going to be different for everybody. I can only speak to what I experienced. And from what I experienced, I had the help of others to just sort of listen to me and be willing to share their love with me by just hanging out with me on the phone. And that took a long time, like six months. That's a long time. Maybe more. We were saying, trying to figure out how long it was. Um, we would get together occasionally, yeah, but pretty much every morning for six months. I had, I had people that were willing to spend that time with me. Um, I would say for me it was a long process, but at the same time there were steps that I would gain, and it seemed like I didn't lose ground once I got that, to that step. So it seemed that there were steps along the way. One of the deeper ones was delving into what is going on in my heart. So to me, the, the, the concept or the thought of your heart and what does it mean was very, very important for me. I didn't know that depression was tied to the heart. When I talked about the scriptures early on and how the Bible talks about it, it's pretty obvious, but at the time I didn't, didn't know it. So bit by bit. And then once union with God, meaning God is in me, John 14, 20, it became so real and still is real that that's a step that I was able to achieve and I've never been able to shrink from it and I don't want to ever shrink from it. So that to me was one of the most pivotal steps because honestly, I was tired of being alone. And when it became clear that God is in me, I'm not alone. Period. The end. Full stop. Um, thinking back on those and the joy of participating in that, just the time together without an agenda. Um, and, and Michael and I were both people who could very easily jump into giving advice. <laughs> but the Lord was gracious about not making that the point for quite a while. And looking back on it, and I would like to see if you, you say so. You've already alluded to it, so I think you do. Um, whatever the immediate uh, cause and, and the, the immediate recognition of the depression, you and I'd walked together about being able to hear God, not being able to hear God for years. Um, the heart thing was relatively new to us to focus on that. And the union thing was absolutely new. I mean, I was learning that. You were learning that. So the depression became 
uh, a motivation and opened up areas that you didn't even know were an issue, right? Or that you thought was just maybe this is just the way God deals with me or whatever. Talk about that a little bit, about how surprising was it to actually find in the process that there are some definitive answers and they revolve around God being in you? To me, the short version of that would be that it became clear that my heart was an important part of me and that God wanted it to be whole. So the book being named Heart Made Whole uh, was appropriate. <laughs> and um, I remember, you know, it was funny. This is some, you, I never told you this. Larry was going to do the course with me, and then he wasn't able to. I just did it on my own. He, by simply saying, I'm going to do it with you, helped me, a depressed person at the time, take the first step. And once I started it, I decided, you know, whether he's with me or not right now, on this course, I can continue on with it. And the more I delved into my heart with the help of this book and the course, and God, of course, um, it became more and more an important part of how I saw me in God's perspective. And then once we, as a body, as a church, started focusing on union with God, that fits so perfectly into the heart part of me that it became so solid that it, it is now there. And I don't say this to, to be bolsterous or proud, but it appears from my life's experience that many times I will go through things that the church goes through in the future. So it's like, I, I don't know why God does that, but I seem to experience stuff, and then it seems like the church experiences it. So in one sideways, in and out, serendipitous way, perhaps the focus on God being in us and the union with God was spurred on by my experience with growing with that. I don't know. So I'm curious, because the vernacular and the statement that you started making about hearing the voice of God changed. Did it change as your heart was opening to God? Was it afterwards? Was there an order, or were they in conjunction with each other? Because when you were speaking of both of those things, I started thinking about acknowledging God in all of your ways. So for me, the idea that God resides in my heart made it inescapable that he's pretty close to me. And so the ability visually of him of, of him being able to communicate with me was so much easier because he's right here that I decided it was a decision, an active choice that I should be able to hear. And then it eventually changed into I can hear him and then I do hear him. All right, well, I'll make it real quick. I was hiking, okay? This is one of the things, pivotal moment for me. I was hiking, meditating on, okay, I'm starting to feel better, God. How do I explain to other believers what's different? Okay, because something's different. But I don't look different, but something's very different. 
And so God and I were communicating, and it was like, this is kind of cool. And the first thing was, God's good. Tell him God's good. I was like, okay, that's pretty basic. But as we've learned, a lot of people don't believe God's good. Two, that he's that he loves me and that he's in me. Now, loves me and in me were in different orders. I was walking around hiking, and it's like, okay, God's, God loves me, and he's in me. And I sensed in my being, I don't know where, let's say in my heart, that nope, that's not the right order. Like, what do you, I'm looking around, I was like, what, how am I, I'm arguing myself, that's the wrong order. And then I realized this is God saying, okay, no, this is the order. Good in love. So God's good, he's in me, and he loves me. And then I was like, okay, God, because I ask questions, many of you know that. So why is it that order? And the answer was, I'm in you. I know every little thing about you, yet I still love you. And it just broke me. And then I realized, okay, I'm either going totally crazy because I'm arguing myself about the order of things or God's talking to me. So I took it that God's talking to me and I've taken it that way ever since. That has grown, yes. It's grown to the point where I will say that I, my default now is I can hear God. Has it helped my heart? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, my heart is free. Before, it wasn't as free. Now it's free. Thank you, Ronnie. All right, you guys, give him a hand. Because one of the things about Ronnie is he is a person who really does desire to help. And so when you're that kind of person, you can be that kind of vulnerable. So thank you for that. Brought me to tears, obviously. And I'm glad you're with us. <laughs> I would have been very sad. Very sad. Okay. <laughs> now we have Jessica. And um, Jessica's going to come up. We... Um, I don't know what she's going to talk about because I don't I don't control that, and uh, but we're happy to have our sweet Jessica. Hi, yeah. So um, when I was invited to do a, a Snapchat, I was just asking the Lord, like, what what should I talk about? And a subject that He had already started the process in was just going deeper into the revelation of living from above. Um, but I wasn't really told to prepare or to research. It's like, yeah, this isn't something. I was like, this is just something I just, I'm verbally processing with you, Lord. And I don't really know the direction that it will go in or what what you're trying to say, but I know there is so much more than the state that I'm operating from in that right now. Um, and so a lot of my processing with him will be through just different experiences, different things that he will say or bring up or conversations with other people. So I just have a couple of stories to kind of share that have just gone in the process and then sharing just sort of what I was pulling from that. But it's, uh, I, I very much so, I find that I learn through verbal processing. And so... This is just kind of something I'm just opening up with you guys where I probably will even have new revelation as I speak about it. And I think that that might be some of the intentionality of it. 
But yeah, so kind of started about a month and a half ago. Um, I was in an ascension with some people, and the, Jesus brought up the phrase, he, he was quoting from the Matrix, and I just had to laugh. I was like, really? We're, we're going there, okay. <laughs> so he just, out of the blue, he says to me, he's like, I want you to share this, you know, what I just said. He said, do you really think that's air that you're breathing? It's like, okay, you're, you're quoting a movie. I know what direction you're going in with this. Oh, this is, this is funny. But after that ascension, which it definitely, it was a very unique experience. And it was so funny because other people at the same time were getting quotes from that movie and another movie. And we were all just afraid to like bring it up, but then we just went for it. Um, but later on, he goes, no, like, go go back into that. What was I saying in that? I was like, well, immediately I know that what you're saying in that, Lord, is that, no, it isn't air I'm breathing. It's your presence. And he says, how real do you think that really is? Do you live in that moment day in and day out? And it's like, no, I don't. I constantly have to remind myself of that. He says, what would it be like if you actually truly believed in every ounce of your being that it was my presence that you're breathing and you don't even need air by the scientific definition of it? And so I was like, wow, this that's really fascinating. That's a challenge, and I don't even know how to challenge myself in that. But I, I love this conversation. Like, I could just feel it stirring up in my spirit. And my son was, like, bringing up some just fascinating stuff to me, too, during the process. Like, um, the Lord spoke to him once when I was having, like, an adult temper tantrum. And I just said, and I knew it was wrong to say it, but I said it because I was just so frustrated and so angry. I was like, Sterling, be prepared. Everything that you think is real is going to disappoint you. And he just looks at me. He got so puffed up and red, and like we were driving, but I could see him in the rearview mirror, and I didn't stop him because I was like, he's right. But he said, no, Mom, that is not true. Real things will never disappoint you. You're not living from above. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, what just, wow. And I just looked at him and said, wow, that is, that is so much wisdom. But I started crying. I was like, thank you so much for that. Where did you get that wisdom? And he just looks at me and he says, mom, I spend a lot of time in heaven. <laughs> So I was like, wow, Lord, like, thank you. I, I needed that. And it just reset me. Um, and then, so yeah, then another experience that I had is I was sitting on my couch. I was doing something, I forget what it was, and I had a really tra traumatic memory from my past that came up. And I just immediately was going to do what I always do, just push it aside. That's That's not real. It doesn't even matter. It's in the past, whatever. Push it aside. And the Holy Spirit said to me, do you want to do something different this time? I was like, um, yeah, okay. W what do you have in mind? I want you to embrace that pain. Pull, your, pull that memory in and embrace it. I was like, this is completely different than I would instinctually want to do. Um, and so immediately my first thought is, like, that's going to really hurt a lot. I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. What's even the point of that? And, and Holy Spirit just said, um, 
yeah, I'm just trying trying to remember. My head, mind's going all over right now. But uh, basically, yeah, Holy Spirit was like, you know, it's up to you. Like, but you want to try something new? I was like, okay, fine, yes. I surrender to this. Whatever it is that you want to do in this, I'm not afraid. That there is no fear in your perfect love. So I just closed my eyes and fully just went into that memory and was just completely led by the Holy Spirit and the fact that I, like, the pain was separate from the story. And like I instinctually knew when it was the Holy Spirit was doing it that it wasn't even the story I was embracing. It was the pain. So I was fully pulling in that pain. And then I instinctually just felt like I'm supposed to actually like wrap this, like pull this pain into my heart, like in an embrace. And when I did that, the pain intensified and the Holy Spirit just told me just breathe through it. And it became so much easier. I was just holding on to that pain. And I just remember feeling so much peace and comfort too, because I realized at any moment, if this is too much, I have full permission to just to, to push it away and come back to it later. I'm not failing by doing that. And the Holy Spirit is completely just, I could feel so embraced by Holy Spirit in the process and by the fact that you deal with this as much as you feel comfortable right now. There's no pressure. So I just did that for a couple seconds longer and then suddenly the pain, like it felt like it just like evaporated, it was gone. And I just remember frantically like looking around through that memory, like I don't get it, What the pain's not here. Like, just like going through that memory. And then I just started laughing. I started laughing both like inside and outside as well, externally. I was like, oh my goodness, this changes everything. That was something so different. And what I pulled out of that experience was, for one, the separation of the actual feeling and the story that we tell ourselves. And to give yourself permission to actually tap into the feeling and embrace it because when you push it away, when you don't acknowledge it, it can't action that pain has a purpose and it can't do what it was supposed to do. You cause that trauma to stay hidden inside to continue to do its damage rather than bringing it to the forefront and fully like, okay, I see you. I see that that hurts. I see that hurts. I understand. I see the story. I understand, you know, I acknowledge that, but that's a story. And then it just, you just let it go. So that was one just like, I was like, wow, that's really fascinating. I hadn't quite connected that to the process of living from above yet. Um, but that was a very just like, a lot of revelation came in that moment. Um, so then the next thing is I, had like an encounter with somebody who was sharing me this this story about physical pain, and it just—I mean—I could see so many kingdom elements, and even some of what I had experienced in that emotional pain, like were really um, confirmed in that. And I think that's why I had to go through that process first before I could have the deeper revelation as I heard this person's story. But this person shared to me that they were playing jiu-jitsu or um, doing jiu-jitsu practice with some of their friends. And in the process, he was flipped really uncomfortably onto his neck in a way that there was a loud, sharp crack and just intense pain. 
So he immediately knew, like, this is very serious. This is not good. He refused to to say, you know, that to say anything about the state that his neck was in. He was acknowledging the pain, but he didn't want to claim anything over it. And so he went home, and this is a thing that he's told me he has learned to do when things like that happen. He went home, he isolated himself to just embrace that pain, to acknowledge the pain, to caring, to care for his body in the way that his body needed to use that pain, but not actually link the story or the trauma with it. Because he, what he was saying is, you know, understanding well, we're spirit beings. We are not physical beings. So why would I take the physical as being my real reality? Why would I say that my neck is broken? Because then immediately I'm telling my mind, and my mind will agree with it, that, oh, that means you're paralyzed. That means this, you, this is permanent. You can't heal from this. And it brings all that baggage in, and it embraces that. Like, the mind's a super powerful thing in doing that. So he said, no, what I did... I'm not tying any story to this. I am a spiritual being. I live in fullness, complete health. This is not this is not the truth. Uh, you know, this this physical state is not the truth. It's a temporary thing. My body's feeling this pain. I'll acknowledge that, but I lovingly care for it through the limitations to reach wholeness. And within a week, um, he went back to go, you know, his friend saw him again, had saw that thing happen. And his friend was like, I have, I have a, a chiropractor doctor who absolutely will look at your neck for free. Like, if, if money is an issue, he, like, you need to get this checked out. This is not okay. And so this person, he said to him, you know, at first he was very reluctant, but then he realized it was going to give his friend a peace of mind. So he's like, okay, I'll go, you know, have an MRI done. So he had an MRI done. This was about a week after the incident. The results came in, the, the chiropractor called him back, very shaken up, and the chiropractor's like, you need to come in right now. Like, is your neck okay? Like, do you feel pain? He's like, no, I, you know, it's, it's feeling much better. Like, I'm doing okay. I'm fine. He goes, well, you need to come in. So he came in, and the chiropractor just still, like, completely beside himself, shows him the MRI, and in the MRI, it showed... Where, I forget like the terminology of the C3, C4. I think, I think it was C4, that vertebrae up by the top of the neck. So there was a space where the old one was gone. It had completely dissolved. It had been broken, dissolved. His body absorbed it. And a new one was growing in its place. And the doctor was this chiropractor. <laughs> is just freaking out. He's like, I had other chiropractors look at other doctors. I'm beside myself. This is not possible. This is not possible, but there it is. <laughs> like, and so my friend just kind of left, like, just kind of knowing, like, in his spirit. He's like, well, yeah, like, I don't b believe those limitations over my body, so I wasn't allowing that to sink in. I wasn't allowing my my mind to receive that. So as I like listened to the story with Holy Spirit, it just was like this click of stuff together. I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, like these are kingdom principles. He wasn't even like, I mean, I believe this per well, this person has God in them, but he was operating out of kingdom principles 
Because when I hear him talk, I know that he knows God's nature. And so he may not know him by name, but he knows his nature. He's claiming that. He knows he's a spirit being. He knows he lives in that pure wholeness. And the way that he was able to actually live out of the real reality was just incredible to me. And so when I was putting all this together, I was like, wow, Lord, like this, it just really helped me understand in a whole new way of we, like, we embrace, we're afraid of suffering. When we feel pain, and, and I should say this for, for me, this tended to be my thought process rather than saying this is what you all have, you know, think, but for me, I tended to be afraid of pain because I linked it with suffering. But I realized, oh no, actually, they're two separate things. The pain is actually this beautiful thing, pain both mentally and emotionally, that the Lord uses for us to embrace it, to allow it to do, to have the, the healing come through, so we can acknowledge what needs, what needs to be done, whether it is through loving, you know, the tender care of loving his neck, understand, okay, I can't do these certain motions, doesn't mean that, I'm, like, I'm not going to embrace the story. Um, for me, like, with, with my body, like, with, or with the, um, the tra- traumatic experience, realizing I just, I need to embrace, I need to hug it, so I see the pain, I understand that hurt, I get it, I understand. So through embracing with love, with that, but then seeing the story and realizing the story is a completely different thing, the story is what will bring the suffering. When we believe that story, when we voice that story, when we believe it, when we let it sink into our mind, then we're living from that lower reality. And that story is just a story. And to, But at the same time, you want it to be able to come so you can hear it and then let it go. Just let it go. It's like, okay, I hear you. All right, that's a story. I hear you, like... Like, from in my own life, you know, stories that I would repeat over myself of limitations, of lack. Okay, I hear you. I understand. I understand the pain in that. I understand the frustration in that. I hear what you're saying. All right, that's a story. The reality is, right now, in this moment, I am fully seated in heavenly places. There is nothing about, like, I, I, to not allow the story of the circumstances of this earth to steal from this fullness of what Jesus did in the cross, of the fullness of God living in us, and just like really understanding we are never living in a place of lack. We're never living in a place of separation. Like the story of suffering, I notice oftentimes it has a root in separation. Separation from God, separation from his love, and when we, like, like that's honestly where I see any of the suffering coming from. It's always from believing or embracing that separation. And we, we like it says, I think Paul, Paul uses the verse um, where it's like we can't be too double-minded. And that means that if you're allowing your mind to believe or embrace the story, then the, uh, the real reality can't live in that moment, in that place. And so to really just allow, like pulling in the real reality and really letting that sink in and know and declare and let those be the only words that leave your mouth about the real reality. And if you're tempted, like in this, another example, um, 
And just hearing my friend tell this story, I was like, I could see the point of why he goes into isolation when he's dealing with the intense pain. Because he doesn't want to be tempted or have other people ask, is your neck broken? He doesn't even want to entertain that possibility or allow that possibility to soak in. But, so yeah, I just, I, like I said, in verbal processing, I, I enjoy, I just thought it was so fascinating. And I'm just really excited because I know like this is just, I can just feel like in my spirit, there's just, there's been shifts in that and really just like understand, like it went into a deeper level. And then like just other verses just constantly would come to mind as I was processing it. Like, and just about how, well, for one, like Paul talks all the time about the circumstances, the joy, um, just fully embracing that heavenly reality in every moment and all the stories lose their power because they're fake. That's the false reality. Um, and just, yeah, we're, um, we tend to put this, the physical on the outside. We tend to live through the physical, and then the spirit is kind of repressed inside. But to allow the spirit, the truth of where we're actually living, step out onto the outside, the soul and the body actually will fall into their proper place, and the spirit will lead. And the way that, and, and so that's how you see, like, the physical body, will, the healing and things that will come into a heavenly alignment because the spirit is doing the leading. So, yeah, <laughs> there we go. I don't know if it makes any sense. <laughs> so when you were talking about initially taking that time to um, embrace the trauma, the traumatic experience, um, you were talking about um, permission. And one of the things that I, I just thought was, it's, it's stunning, actually, to give yourself permission to embrace your trauma, but it's, but it, it is also good to, if we're not ready to embrace it, to give ourselves permission to say, oh, I don't think so, not, not just yet. And so um, my question is, um, did you just come to the, that place of permission just sort of on a whim, or was that sort of like a spirit-led thing where, where Holy Spirit just said, you know, can I have permission to take this trauma with you, Jessica? Or was it you saying to Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you know, you have permission to do that. Which was it? <laughs> or was it a combination? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, honestly, me initially, I had no thought about going in that direction. That was Holy Spirit that just completely said, can I show you something new? And then through just past experiences and building that trust, realizing, no, like, I'm always safe. I Like, I, Holy Spirit never forces things. And realizing, okay, yeah, like I actually, I can, I, I'm curious enough that I want to see that where this will go. I know that you are fully embracing me in this. I'm not doing this alone. You're in me. And then that, like, at first, like, when that pain kind of welled up a little bit and, like, the initial reaction of, like, oh, here it goes. Like, I knew it was going to get worse to do this. That, that sudden peace washing over me where it's like, no, it's, I am safe to, if at any moment I need to, back out I can, and I'm not failing. 
And that I think that was absolutely Holy Spirit, like letting me know, like don't put those judgments on yourself. You're not failing if you if you're not ready for this. I I brought this up. You know, this is an opportunity, but you're not going to miss out if you say no right now. We'll just you know we'll come up again another time. Yeah. First of all, I just got this sense when you were talking. You have some preaching gifts, I think. Because it's flowing out of you, which I think is a real preaching gift, where it's just coming out of you because you're free to let it, which kind of goes with what you're talking about. So I'm so curious about all this because I've been doing some trauma therapy myself for the past couple of years. And there's a lot of scientific evidence with the actual brain, your brain, of what happens in trauma and things that get trapped and from what I've learned, which is a teeny tiny bit, is that when you do that, the synapse in your brain gets stopped. When you stop that, when you say, I don't want that pain, I'm not thinking about it anymore, I'm not going to do it, it gets stuck. And the brain is not allowed to continue and fully do the process that it needs to do to develop. Which is so curious to me that it, that's what happened with with you and with your friend, and I know it's happened with me too. When I allow myself to, or you, what you just shared, go, yep, this hurts. Yep, this hurts a lot. Yep, God, you're with me in the pain. Boom, it's over. It doesn't get trapped in my body. Our bodies hold that. St- it has to go somewhere. The pain has to go somewhere. And so it gets trapped in our bodies. And then we have all this junk 58 years later that's just been stuck in there. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for your friend to not let it get stuck there and to let the new thing regenerate. I'm I'm like so stoked to see where this can go with my optic nerve. Yeah, thank you. I love that. Because I oftentimes won't know any of the scientific stuff, and then I'll like look it up or somebody will bring it up later. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like it just all lines up. So I'm trying to just understand the difference here. You're saying that we recognize the reality that something hurts. And that what you're saying the story is is a narrative or something that we traditionally believe is defining our future as a result of that. Is that kind of the separation and that we don't have to, you know, if I fall on my neck, the story is I'm going to be paralyzed, blah, 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 all that other stuff. The reality is I did <laughs> fall on my neck. It hurt. It's bad. And it, so is that kind of how you separate it is? it's kind of rejecting those potential false destinies or the destinies that we don't need to have or usually accept? Yeah, I I think that is because it it actually took me a a couple of times to really think over where is the separation in this? Why embrace the pain? But, and and I started kind of realizing, yeah, there there is a very distinct difference in like, Let's see. Um, yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely. Like the future. 
Because it would be okay to say my neck is broken if you knew that by saying that you didn't have the baggage of, well, then this, this, and this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So your son, Sterling, who's six, had um, wisdom from God flow during your, what you called an adult temper tantrum. Um, good on you. That's for you, Al. That's uh, Australian speak. Good on you for being a mom that allows and nourishes that with your son. How do you think he experiences heaven? Or what did he say? He spends a lot of time in heaven. How, do you, how does he do that? Well... I I believe that everybody does because our spirit is always there and that as we get older, especially in a culture that tells us that this is where we reside, we tend to forget that. And so I really do feel like kids naturally already, that is their reality, but then they slowly start to replace that with the false reality. And I was blessed by coming across teachings, people, the Holy Spirit leading me, and like realizing this, and like ascensions, and the fact that we are, you know, this perfect, seamless union with God. And so we are in heaven, and we can go there in a blink of an eye, and we already are there. And so I started doing ascensions with Sterling when he was probably five. I think that was about the age, the time in his life when I was starting to do them. And yeah, it was just so easy for him. And he would just laugh because he's like, I'm already here, mom. Like he just knew he didn't have to do anything to go in. He would close his eyes and that was just that. So there was one time in the very beginning when I was telling him, I was like, um, I, I, cause I was, I was curious. Like I knew the answer, but I wanted to know if, what he would say. And he just, I, I was like, man, like you see heaven so clearly. How do you do that? Can you show me how? And he goes, oh, it's so easy, mom. Watch. He just closes his eyes and then he said to me, see, I'm right here right now. Can you see it? <laughs> and so, yeah, to answer your question, um, what was your question again? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so he has never learned that he doesn't live there. And I, I hope to do my best to reinforce that. But I know even if society makes him forget that, he will return into that because that is the truth. So, yeah. Thank you, Jessica. You know, I was just sitting there and God was just speaking to me about both Jessica and Ronnie. And two characters from the Bible came to mind. Jessica, you are an Esther. You carry God's authority. You have such wisdom and such knowledge for your age. You're fearless. You're a single mom who took on the task and enjoys it and expresses it through her great love for her son. It's not a surprise to me that he's able to go into heaven. His parent paved the way for him. And you know, it's God's expression of love in you that comes out and just shines all around you. And it's a pleasure to know you. God brings some extraordinary people into this little church. 
They're wonderful people, and they carry great gifts. And you're one of those that carries a great gift. So thank you for that. Yeah, we love you for it. Yeah. Yeah. And Ronnie, I've known Ronnie for years. He is a different person. You are a Peter. I'm thinking of all the questions. Peter never hesitated to ask Jesus questions, and Jesus never got upset with the questions. He knew that Peter was learning and experiencing day by day more and more of him. So keep up the questions. That's the process that you're on, and it's serving you well. You are a wonderful man of God, and I can see drastic changes in you. That heart change you're talking about, it's taken place. And thank God for the people like Larry and your other friend, Mike, that came up at a time when you needed them. I hope we can all learn that lesson. You know, we all need help at times. I, at one time in my life, was suicidal. Meg was suicidal. You know, there weren't people that always were there and available then, but the Holy Spirit was, and he helped us both through that time. But it's, it's really important that you garner friends, and for everybody, when you're having difficulties and you're having trouble, don't keep it to yourself. For couples that we haven't used to see, at our, we used to went to a very large church, unlike the small church, but we went to a very large church, New Life, and for a while there, you wouldn't see people show up. And you'd say, we haven't seen so-and-so for a while. And you'd call them. They're having marriage difficulties, but they're ashamed. And they're hurt, and they didn't want anybody else to know. And guess what? If they didn't get help, they got divorced. So you did right by sharing with Larry and your other friend. And keep growing, brother. You're doing wonderful. God bless you both. All right, you guys, um, give it up for Jessica. <laughs> and uh, that, that was um, really a marvelous um, evening. Appreciate you guys for sharing and being so, um, Ronnie, honest, and uh, Jessica, same. 